Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. On this week's episode, Bishop delves into the life and legacy of Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. If you have a question for Bishop to answer, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good bishop who's been giving us quite the Old Testament history lesson lately. Thank you for being here, Bishop. <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. By the way, I love talking about the major prophets. Yeah. Uh, now, I just want to make sure you know who are the four major prophets of the Old Testament. Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah. Very good. Okay. But you know, at the end of this, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to be giving you an exam. I just want you to know, just to see if you've been paying attention. Okay. <laughs> I, I will, I'll have to go back and listen to him multiple times. You'll, you'll have to study as a little much bit. I can. Yeah. Yeah. Th- these have been very dense. There's a lot of great information in there. We did two whole episodes on Isaiah and you said that he, he's one of the the most important of right. the prophets. So. And he's the first of the major prophets. Yeah. And uh this is enjoyable to do. Yeah. So do you want to do, Jer- oh, go ahead. No, I, I guess chronologically, the next one would be Jeremiah. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you like Jeremiah? <laughs> to be honest, I, I really don't know a whole lot about <laughs> Jeremiah. Well, uh, he's the one that's always quoted the, before I knew you, or before I formed you in the womb, I yes, knew you. Yes. And we'll talk about that. That's in the first chapter. You know, it's the longest book of the prophets. It has the most words in it. Isaiah is quite long, but Jeremiah has 52 chapters, and it's quite long as far as number of words. Sure. You know, even though they were prophets at different times, Jeremiah and Ezekiel overlap, but but Isaiah was many, many decades before Jeremiah. But it's still similar themes. You know, judgment, mm-hmm. the judgment against the people for their breaking of the commandments, etc. But then there's always a message of hope, too. So in each of the prophets, you see this, this message of hope. I mean, you see the message of judgment on Israel or Judah for mm-hmm. their infidelity. But then you see also a theme of hope that in the future, there will be a restoration. So okay. um, another interesting thing when we, when we look at the different uh, prophetic books is is the different styles of writing, the different literary genres. We talked about this when we talked about um, Isaiah. You know, you see these oracles, you know, thus says the Lord. Yeah. Or sermons, which are a little different than oracles, but they're really sermons by the prophets. And then you have sometimes dialogues, you know, like you see it when we will look at Jeremiah, but, you know, like a dialogue between him and God, okay. which is really neat. Um, and some of it's historical narrative. You know, you do see some description of what's happening historically. Sometimes there's letters, sometimes there's prophetic signs, and those are very interesting. Some of them are a little in our estimation, a little weird, mm-hmm. but, um, and then there are also confessions, what are called confessions. And, you know, in Jeremiah, there's deep emotion where he laments the destruction and the suffering and he, he complains to God, you mm-hmm. know, and, and sometimes we can relate, I think, to the sentiment of these prophets. Yeah. You mentioned sermons. What would the context of the sermons have been? Is he preaching to the people? The people? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's different from an oracle. Uh, an oracle is an actual like communication of what God says. Uh-huh. 
Whereas a sermon would have more the prophet, yes, also inspired by God, but more or less giving a sermon like we would today. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what else do we know about Jeremiah? Well, you know, when you look at the prophets, usually the first chapter is always important because the first chapter of the book, we get kind of... um, usually identifies who it is, mm-hmm. who's speaking, etc. So I thought it might be good to begin with that first chapter of the book of the prophet Jeremiah. But just so you get an idea of when is this t- when did he live? Mm-hmm. Okay. It says that he began his ministry as a prophet in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah. So when he says that we can figure it out because we know when Josiah was the king. Remember? Okay. Uh, I talked a little I think I talked a little bit about Josiah. That he was a good king. He he was a reformer. Mm-hmm. Um the 13th year of his reign would be about 627 BC. Okay. So this is as I mentioned uh several decades after Isaiah okay. lived. So it's a different historical context because with Isaiah, 700 BC, Assyria was the oppressive empire uh-huh. that, that attacked Judah, etc. Well, now they have a new enemy and a new superpower, Babylon. Hmm. So King Josiah was reigning from about 640 to 609 BC. And Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry in the 13th year of Josiah's reign, so about 627 BC. Hmm. In his lifetime, in Jeremiah's lifetime, the big event, the dominant event, was when Judah was invaded by Babylon. And eventually, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed Mm -hmm. and the temple was destroyed. Now, there's one date that's really important, and I'll come back to this date. And it's probably good for the listeners and for you to remember this date, because it's really key. It's 587 BC. So memorize that date. That's the year when the temple was destroyed and Jerusalem was destroyed. Hmm. Even before that, they were kind of under the control of the Babylonians, and there were some deportations, but that was like the end when the temple was destroyed. Okay. And so 587, but there were kind of different waves of persecution where the Babylonians came in and kind of took control, etc. But the actual destruction mm-hmm. was in 587. That's when a lot more were deported. But in any event, talking about Jeremiah's ministry as a prophet at this very difficult time in the history of God's people. I'll read the first three verses of chapter one, which gives the historical context, and then we'll look at God calling Jeremiah to be his prophet. So first, uh, I'll read chapter one, the first three verses. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, 
the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Okay. <laughs> now, I already talked a little bit about this. Notice he says, until the captivity of, of Jerusalem. So, so what you have is different kings here. So you have King Josiah, and that's when Jeremiah, his ministry began in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. But Josiah, when his, after his death, he was succeeded as king by his son, and his son's name was Jehoiakim. So think of this King Jehoiakim. When he was king, the persecution by the Babylonians had already begun, and there was already a, a deportation of some of the people to Babylon. And really, when Jehoiakim was the king, they were really under the control of Babylon. It was like a vassal state. It was like, um, and the king of, of Babylon was Nebuchadnezzar. And you mm -hmm. probably remember hearing his name, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So when they first started deporting some of the people of Judah to Babylon, it was usually the aristocracy. It was the rich members of the royal household because they were kind of held in Babylon as hostages. It's interesting. We'll talk later when we get to the prophet Daniel. He was exiled around this time, I think, to, huh. to Babylon. So Jehoiakim, as he was king, he really, um, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and he was expecting help from Egypt. So around 598 BC, he started a rebellion. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's army started to come over. And interestingly, the king died before uh, the army arrived at Jerusalem. So Jehoiakim's son then became king, and his name is Jehoiakim. Okay. So the difference is the last letter. There's Jehoiakim and uh -huh. Jehoiakim. Okay. So when Jehoiakim <laughs> became king, Babylon attacked, okay? And they deported him, and not just the upper classes, middle class as well, to captivity in Babylon. So that was the largest exile to Babylon hmm. around 598 BC. But they left a lot of the poor behind. So what happened when Jehoiakim was taken to Babylon? His uncle, which is the brother of Josiah, became the king. And his name is Zedekiah. Mm -hmm. And Zedekiah ruled for 11 years. Zedekiah was like Jehoiakim. He followed the same approach, you know, the, against Babylon, kind of pro-Egyptian, trusting that the Egyptians would help. But it was when Zedekiah was king that the city fell and the temple was destroyed. Again, remember that year, 587 uh -huh. B.C., and it's really pretty gruesome. Zedek, Nebuchadnezzar entered, or when he conquered Jerusalem and destroyed it, he executed the King Zedekiah's sons right in front of him. Hmm. And not only that, he gouged out King Zedekiah's eyes. 
hmm. and then deported him to Babylon. I mean, it was really gruesome. So that was the third wave of exiles. That was the destruction of the city and the temple. And that was the end of the Davidic kings. So the line of kings from King David ended. Okay. For a time. For a time. <laughs> yeah. Now, Jeremiah is living through all this. Uh-huh. So where was he? Yeah. He was in Jerusalem. And so he didn't get deported like the others. After the city was destroyed and the temple was destroyed, though, he fled with some of the others to Egypt. So he was never taken to Babylon. They fled to Egypt. There's an interesting, I just want to add this, I always find interesting. According to late Jewish tradition, and you can read about this in the second book of Maccabees, It was Jeremiah who removed the Ark of the Covenant from the temple, and he hid it in a cave on Mount Nebo before the Babylonians came and destroyed the temple. Uh So I don't know if you've heard of Mount Nebo, or you probably remember, that's where Moses, when he came to the promised land, you know, he, he went up Mount Nebo and he was able to look over the promised land. If you go up Mount Nebo, which I did, uh, you can see Jerusalem. If the if the sky is clear, you can see Jericho and Jerusalem. The different popes, John Paul and Benedict, and I don't know about Francis, when they visited the Holy Land, they went to Mount Nebo. Uh-huh. Um, but anyhow, there's that tradition that the Ark of the Covenant is somewhere in a cave on Mount Nebo, and that Jeremiah took it there. And he never took it back out? No, like, no, because he went to Egypt and it's okay. been lost. You saw the Raiders of the Lost Ark, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Indiana Jones, right. All right. Well, coming up, we'll talk more about Jeremiah right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about Jeremiah. And can you tell us about his calling to be a prophet? I love this uh, account of the, the Lord calling Jeremiah. This is a reading that can be used at ordinations, uh, oh, okay. which is really neat. But anyhow, here's, here's what we read. Verse 4 of chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying... Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Be not afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, 
And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You know, I think it's interesting that last part, that uh, verse 10, where you have those six verbs. Uh, and, and this is really a description of of uh, Jeremiah's vocation, his his call. It's to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow. Those four verbs all have to do with judgment. Hmm. You know, judgment, destruction, mm-hmm. which is, I mentioned, a lot of the book is is that. It's about the judgment of the people, condemnation for their infidelity, etc. Yeah. But notice the last two verbs. He's been called to build and to plant. Mm-hmm. So there's always that restoration, that idea of hope for the future. Another thing here is the fact of Jeremiah's call from the womb. You know, a number of the early fathers of the church will use this text as a foundation for the respect we are to have for the unborn. Yeah. That the unborn are human beings, and so abortion is immoral. So in these Old Testament texts like this, there's a moral uh, sense in these texts that really have implications for, for later. This reading of Jeremiah's call is also used at the vigil for the nativity of St. John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was chosen from the womb. Mm -hmm. Remember, he was in the womb of Elizabeth. Yeah. And uh, so so sometimes it's interesting to see in our um, lectionary how for different feasts, they they choose particular Old Testament readings that kind of relate. Sure. Um, So... The next several chapters of Jeremiah, we have a series of oracles. You know, these oracles are God speaking through the prophet. I find it interesting, this, um, because you see it in Jeremiah, but you also see it in the other prophets, the idea of the people being the bride of God and God being the the husband. Mm -hmm. And anyhow, so... In a series of oracles between chapters 2 and 6, we have this image of the sinful city of Jerusalem as an adulterous wife, hmm. the wife of the divine bridegroom, and a wife who was once in love with her bridegroom or her husband, God, mm-hmm. falling into lust for other lovers. Hmm. committing adultery, spiritual adultery, worshiping false gods, etc. And what ends up happening is a divorce. Very interesting. Um, Jeremiah speaks of both Israel, the northern kingdom, which already had fallen you know, a century earlier, and Judah, the southern kingdom, as playing the harlot through acts of idolatry. Uh being an adulteress, being a harlot. Probably a lot of listeners are familiar with this image from the Old Testament. But if we read chapter 3, verses 6 to 9, I think you get a taste of this. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, have you seen what she did, that faithless one, 
Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return. And her false sister, Judah, saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her away with a decree of divorce. Yet her false sister, Judah, did not fear, but she too went and played the harlot. Because harlotry was so light to her, she polluted the land, committed adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her false sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. And the Lord said to me, faithless Israel has shown herself less guilty than false Judah. Hmm. So, I mean, these are strong words. So, yeah, it was it was decades earlier, a century earlier, I guess, that Israel had fallen, the northern kingdom. And really, Jeremiah is saying, well, the southern kingdom, Judah, is worse. Wow. They should have known better. Right. You know. And, and this whole image of marriage, you know, marriage is a covenant. It uh, demands devotion. So, it's the same with the covenant relationship with God. You know, it demands exclusivity, exclusive worship of the true God and obedience to him. So, the sins of the people when they worship pagan idols, et cetera, that's considered adultery or harlotry. Mm-hmm. They're betraying the covenant. They're betraying the relationship with the Lord. It's They violated the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments, like the Sabbath. So that's why there's this condemnation, this judgment, and what's going to be the result? Divorce, mm-hmm. exile. All right, well, We've got a lot more to talk about, I think, here. And if we have some time, we'll get in some listener-submitted questions. If you have any questions, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll hear more about the prophet Jeremiah right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop. We've been talking about the major prophets of the Old Testament. We did two whole episodes on Isaiah, and today we've been talking about Jeremiah. Got a lot of the historical background of what was going on at the time, and curious to learn more about Jeremiah. Good, good. Well, as you continue then, I mean, it's a long book, like I said, so we can't get, we don't have time to get into a lot of it, but there are basically two halves to the book after this beginning part. And the first half was really chapter seven to to chapter to 25, which is very poetic. When you read those 18 chapters, they're kind of loosely organized and, and really it's a little difficult because they're they're not most of them are not dated but then when you go to the latter part the second half chapters 26 to 51 it's better organized so you have dates and but it's more prose than poetry so so basically most uh, scholars will will divide the book of jeremiah into these two parts but they're very similar in structure because the both parts have sermons in them mm-hmm. they have oracles mm-hmm. they have these prophetic signs But both halves begin with temple sermons, 
And then they move to the theme of judgment against God's people and get specific judgments against the kings, against the priests, etc. But then, and they all end the latter chapters with judgments against other nations. So it's not just judgment and condemnation against Israel or Judah, but other nations and really the whole earth. Hmm. So it's an interesting thing. You'll see this in, in book of Ezekiel as well, but maybe just to get a taste of one of his prophetic sermons, I probably won't read it all, but in chapter seven, it's really about the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, you know, a prophecy. And this is what it says. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. So that's what God says to Jeremiah. And this is what he's to say. Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your doings, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the alien, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own hurt, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, says the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, says the Lord, and when I spoke to you, persistently you did not listen, and when I called you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house which is called by my name and in which you trust and to the place which I gave to you and to your fathers as I did to Shiloh. Hmm. And I will cast you out of my sight as I cast out all your kinsmen, all the offspring of Ephraim. I mean, we could go on and on, but knowing the history, you understand what's happening. So, so this is a prophecy of what's going to happen in 587 BC. Uh -huh. The temple is going to be destroyed, but God is calling them to repentance, to mm -hmm. change, but he lists all these commandments they're breaking and their idolatry and all that. So this is an example of how the prophet, I mean, you can imagine what kind of reaction Jeremiah would get for saying, I mean, these are strong words yeah. and he is really, I mean, he gets persecuted and we'll talk a little bit about that. One of the interesting prophetic signs that we find in Jeremiah is in chapter 16. And uh, I just want to read the first four, four verses of that, and I'll tell you what the sign is. Well, you'll figure it out. The word of the Lord came to me. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. For thus says the Lord concerning the sons and daughters who are born in this place, and concerning the mothers who bore them and the fathers who begot them in this land, they shall die of deadly diseases. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried. They shall be as dung, 
on the surface of the ground. They shall perish by the sword and by famine, and their dead bodies shall be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. pretty uh, dramatic. And But the sign, one of the prophetic signs is celibacy. Uh-huh. You know, Jeremiah was instructed not to take a wife. I talked to you earlier about how he would have these Jeremiah's laments, his confessions, sometimes they're called. In chapter 20, beginning with verse 7, there are many of these confessions in the book of Jeremiah, but they're very um, emotional, I think. So, this is Jeremiah's fifth confession. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and thou hast prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. For I hear many whispering, terror is on every side. Denounce him, let us denounce him. Say all my familiar friends, watching for my fall. Goes on and on. And he goes on to say later, curse be the day on which I was born, uh-huh. the day when my mother bore me. Let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father. A son is born to you, making him very glad. I mean, he's in desperate. I mean, yeah. you know, you just feel he's lamenting because, you know, being a prophet with the message he had to give, yeah. I mean, he was getting denounced. He was losing friends. He was kind of in despair. Cursed be the day I was born, he says. Right. So, um, the latter chapters of the book, there's example of judgments against other nations, these Gentile nations, the pagans, for example, against uh, Egypt and Philistia and Ammon and Edom and, and finally against Babylon itself. So it's not just judgment against Israel or against Judah. It's also the prophet speaks of the judgment and condemnation of other nations. Maybe just to get a taste of it, Jeremiah chapter 50, where we have this uh, condemnation of Babylon. And this is Jeremiah chapter 50, beginning with verse 31. Behold, this is the word of the Lord. Behold, I am against you, O proud one, says the Lord God of hosts, for your day has come, the time when I will punish you. The proud one shall stumble and fall with none to raise him up. And I will kindle a fire in his cities, and it will devour all that is round about him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the people of Israel are are oppressed, and the people of Judah with them. All who took them captive have held them fast. They refuse to let them go. Their Redeemer is strong. The Lord of hosts is his name. He will surely plead their cause, that he may give rest to the earth, but unrest to the inhabitants of Babylon. A sword upon the Chaldeans, says the Lord, and upon the inhabitants of Babylon, and upon her princes and her wise men. A sword upon the diviners, that they may become fools. A sword upon her warriors, that they may be destroyed. A sword upon her horses, and upon her chariots, and upon all the foreign troops in her midst, that they may become women. 
a sword upon all her treasures that they may be plundered, a drought upon her waters that they may be dried up, for it is a land of images, and they are mad over idols. Hmm. So just so you don't think Jeremiah only preaches against his own people, he also, that's pretty strong against Babylon and, and how they'll be judged. Yeah. But the message of hope, I think, is really important, which we find right in the middle of the book of the prophet Jeremiah in chapters 30 to 33. Okay. So between these, you know, these two halves where we have these oracles, not of judgment, but of restoration. And he speaks that there will be a new covenant. By the way, the term new covenant is only used once in the whole Old Testament, right here in Jeremiah. Hmm. So we have this, uh, this message, there will be a new covenant, that there will be a new exodus, basically from Babylon. Uh -huh. People will be restored to Jerusalem and a return of the Davidic king. The return of the king. Okay. Remember Zedekiah, that was it. Uh -huh. But there's so there's this prophecy of hope for the future. By the way, Jeremiah doesn't call this king the Messiah, but later Jewish writers will refer to this new king as the Messiah. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can go to redeemerradio.com slash askbishop. You can text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have more about Jeremiah the Prophet right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we've been talking a lot about the prophet Jeremiah. What's your favorite passage from Jeremiah, Bishop? I would say these four verses. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. And I think they'll be familiar to you. Okay. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each man teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more." Hmm. Beautiful. Now you hear that on the fifth Sunday of Lent in okay. year B. So every three years uh -huh. we hear this reading, but it's also a reading that's an option for wedding masses. And I've had a few weddings where the couple has chosen this uh -huh. and also votive mass of the sacred heart of Jesus. This reading can be used. 
And another time where I've preached on it is when I've had masses with the consecration of virgins or the religious profession of sisters. Mm -hmm. This is one of the readings that you can choose. So let's think about this a little bit. Israel and Judah, they stand condemned before God for violations of the covenant, the Mosaic covenant, for being unfaithful to their spouse. But there's hope for the future in the new covenant mm -hmm. that God will establish. And what's the heart of this covenant relationship? It's that one sentence that we just heard, I will be your God and you shall be my people. Mm -hmm. Interesting, the new covenant is made with all the 12 tribes, both the north, the 10 tribes in the north, Israel, and the two tribes in the south, you know, Judah. But the new covenant is not just this returning of the southern tribes from exile in Babylon. It's all the tribes. This is going to be a great act of restoration that will bring back all the descendants of all the 12 tribes. And notice how the new covenant is depicted as a, a nuptial relationship, a marriage relationship, you know. Speaking of the covenant which they broke, though I was their husband. So we still mm -hmm. see that, that image that we saw earlier. And this new covenant is different. It's distinct from the Mosaic covenant because, first of all, it's not written on stone. I will write my law in their hearts. Mm. So it's an internalized yeah. thing. And another thing that's different, in this new covenant, he says, they shall all know me. Before, it was kind of a cognitive knowledge of God. Now we're talking about an experiential thing, this hmm. intimate familiarity. They shall all know me. Mm -hmm. And then third, it involves forgiveness. I will forgive their iniquity. Because the old covenant, they had these sacrifices, etc. But those sacrifices that they had in their cult, their worship, didn't affect forgiveness they didn't transform the worshipers, but the new covenant does. Okay, so there's going to be this new exodus, the return. There'll be a new uh, uh, or appearance of a Davidic heir, a new king, which says then that the covenant with David then was not revoked because we have the line then will continue, the Davidic line. Okay. So let's think of the really important connection to our faith, our Christian faith. What did Jesus say at the Last Supper when he took the cup? He said, this chalice which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Mm -hmm. This is the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. The new covenant, now notice, who's there when Jesus says those words? 12 mm -hmm. apostles okay the 12 tribes of the new israel it's really a mystical representation and sacramental nucleus of all the 12 tribes of the new israel and what does the new covenant involve primarily it's it's the bestowal of the holy spirit through the sacraments remember the first easter night Receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive. They are forgiven them. 
the gift of the Holy Spirit is what engraves the law of God in the hearts of believers. Hmm. So we can know God. It infuses in us experiential knowledge of God. When we read Paul's letter to the Romans, uh, you know, we see this, uh, that we can know who God is. He says, with the Holy Spirit, we can call God Abba. So the law is then written in our hearts and and we can know God in this more intimate way. And I've always been fascinated by this, how we see these similarities between the life of Jeremiah and the life of Jesus. We can say really that Jeremiah's life points forward to the suffering, the rejection, and the execution of Jesus. Mm-hmm. More than any of the other prophets, you know, I don't see this kind of foreshadowing of Jesus or this similarity to the life of Jesus, for example, in the prophet Isaiah. But Jeremiah, I mean, there's so many things that uh, are similar. Remember when when Jesus said, who do men say that the son of man is? Uh One of the answers was some say Jeremiah. Yeah. Look at the similarities. Both were chosen from the womb. Mm Mm-hmm. Both were destined for rejection and conflict with the people. I mean, we see that, for example, in, uh, well, that's in Jeremiah 1, but also in Luke chapter 2, especially when Jesus was presented in the temple. Mm-hmm. Both were called to prophetic celibacy. Both are likened to a sacrificial lamb. I'm really struck by Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 19. How did Jeremiah describe himself as a gentle lamb led to the slaughter? Mm -hmm. John the Baptist says, behold the lamb of God. Mm -hmm. Both were betrayed by friends, Hmm. by those closest to them. Both preached against the temple. I read that one part about the den of robbers. Well, Jesus used that word when he cleansed the temple. Both predicted the destruction of Jerusalem. Both were opposed and persecuted by the chief priests and the elders. Both were condemned to death for speaking against the temple. Both were tried by weak judges. Jeremiah speaks of being cast into a pit and raised up from it again. Well, we also see that in John's gospel. Really, Jeremiah is like a prototype or a a prefiguration of um, the suffering servant of Jesus. And, and so the tradition of the church has often held up Jeremiah as prefiguring the suffering Christ. Uh, so we see the fulfillment of the prophecies Christologically in Christ and also in the sacraments. So there's this continuity between the Old and New Testament and also this, this promise of a perpetual throne of David and a perpetual priesthood. Well, Christ the King and Christ the Priest fulfills this prophecy. Maybe I'll just end this section on uh, Jeremiah with with, uh, chapter 33, verses 14 to 18. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of David. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch 
to spring forth for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which I will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn cereal offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. So Christ the King and Christ the Priest is the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy of the coming of a new king of the line of David and of an, a perpetual priesthood. Well, thank you for going through all of this. This is great. I'm definitely going to have to go back and listen to this again. And I think feel like every time I listen to it, I'll absorb more and more. Uh, but encourage people too, if you missed it, go back and check out the past episodes about Isaiah. And next week, will we be talking about Ezekiel? Ezekiel. All right. Zeke. I look forward to that. (laughs) All right. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.